Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. There, wow. It's on. I feel like there should be a good morning. Oh, see, wow. I'm a kids pastor. If you don't know why I'm Pastor Allison and in kids church, I require some feedback because that's the only way I know they're, you know, I don't know. I don't require feedback at youth. They just do it anyway. They okay. just interrupt me all the time. Because I so, train them before they get yeah, to you. She knows who she is. She raised her hand. Yeah. I love her to death. Her name it is happens. Moxie. So. Hey, we've been having a great summer, haven't we? We had yes. summer camps, yeah. all the things. This last week, we had a big obstacle course for the kids. We did a duck hunt in town. If you saw random ducks in town, that was us. And it was awesome. We had lots of families that came out. And it was really fun because we just saw them running. from. They were literally running from place. You could almost see them. We were at the library, outside the library, and I was making snow cones for two hours. And people would come and grab a snow cone on their way through, grab another one on their way. It was 90 degrees, and snow cones were necessary. And you had so. people running around in duck costumes. Yes, duck like costumes. It. It was, it. it was fabulous. You know, we really had a good time. So I just want to thank our church because the reason we get to do these things is just your faithfulness and, and also bringing your kids. That's kind of a big deal to me, too. And it was fun. It was a lot of yeah. fun. It was a lot yeah. of fun. And, you know, that kind of wrapped up our summer. I think there's a couple more things on our calendars. but Yeah, uh, we do. We do have a yep. few more things. First of all, today is our new Family Connection lunch. Mm -hmm. uh, it is going to be in Buckley. I know it is scary to drive Take across that bridge sometimes, but uh, it is a great opportunity to just connect here at MRCC. Pastor Brent is going to be there. There's going to be good food. It is in Buckley on Rainier Street. So if you want to, yeah, like Pastor Allison said, take a quick picture of that. Buckley's not a half an hour away. It's, it's literally not. seven minutes probably. It's still scary, <laughs> but... I did I, not grow up out here because I do not understand that. I grew that. up there and I turned out okay, right? <laughs> Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. Well, also, the prime timers are coming along, too, right? Yes, oh, yeah. We, we decided we're not defining uh, what a prime timer is. It, we just decided if you are in the prime of your life, right? Okay, you're welcome to come. You get to, to decide come. what that is. What that is. But it is lunch on a Thursday, so clearly that eliminates some of us. But um, if you're in the prime of your life Thursday, this Thursday, uh, they're leaving here at 11 o'clock to have a picnic lunch. You said Deep Lake? Yeah, Deep yeah, Lake. Yeah, okay. And they're going to take the bus so you can relive you can maybe the prime time of your days. life in childhood. <laughs> yep. uh, we're going to be riding the bus. Uh, so uh, wheels up at 1130. So make sure you're here if you if you want to ride the bus. And, mm -hmm. and it's going to be fun. Wheels I'm up. not going, but it'll be fun. I guarantee it. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Well, you know, and then after that, we really are kicking off the fall. And, of course, youth and kids are going to have their kickoff on September 6th. So it's a Wednesday night. Um, we're super excited to get back into the school year. So kids are actually going to start right at 5 o'clock. And we decided to extend it so we could have some fun stuff out on the parking lot. And uh, what, what I can also say, and I'm really excited to be able to, I don't know, just... You know, as we're talking about what this new kids building, we're getting ready for a new kids building, hopefully October. You guys, hopefully in October, yeah, we're going to be moving into this new kids building. And and two big things are happening because, um, you know, they told me they're building a kids building. And at one point I said, okay, you can give me a building, but we also have to put stuff in the building. Um, and so as a part of that, we're kind of trying to spend less money so that we can spend more equipping the building. Amen? Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Okay, so you're all on board, right? So what I can say is I'm really excited. We, we actually were able to borrow a lot of things. Like we're going to have inflatables and face paint and cotton candy and snow cones and all that kind of stuff for our back-to-school bash, but it was all borrowed. Isn't that kind of yeah, cool? Yeah, that's so good. I know, right? That's so uh, good. But then also, as we start looking at fall events, we kind of decided, well, what are some other ways we could save some money? Uh, so a lot of our, our events that usually have dinner, we're planning to do dessert instead. So just be geared up and ready for that because, you know, but every time you have dessert, which actually did you say that's what you prefer anyway, right? Yeah, and you can just have more dessert. More, it just leaves so it works for out. <laughs> 
but as you're I mean, having I'm more dessert, it. you can be thanking God for what he's doing over here as we get ready for yeah. this new building. Yeah. So, yeah. What else? So, uh, you also, you skipped the youth back to school bash. Oh, I'm Which sorry. is the exact same time, or the exact same day, but different we're just thing. at a different time. We're going to start at 6.30, and we're going to be able to play on the inflatables and have pizza and everything later because we're older and we get to stay up later, right? They like to have dinner at 8 p.m. Yeah, I do not understand that at all. We do dinner at 5. Youth it's, does dinner at 8. It's carb loading. Yeah, but the, okay, I can't I can't sleep. You guys, as you get older, as you get closer to the prime time of your oh, life, <laughs> okay, you eat okay. that late, you can't sleep. Uh, but yeah, that's all the things that are coming up, right? Yeah, we have a, yep. a ladies oh, kickoff yes. coming up. Uh, September 11th, so that's the following Monday. Uh, ladies, uh, the other part of uh, ladies events, it's really cool. It's an opportunity for you to come and gather together, enjoy fellowship with one another, but then also see what other ministries there are that you could get connected with. So ladies, come on September 11th, enjoy dessert with us. Uh, um, uh, but then also, as we start kicking off more ladies' events, something we're trying to do is build up our child care ministry so that we might be able to provide child care at some of those events, whether it's evening or during the day. So there is a table in the foyer, and I think uh, if you are, are interested in maybe helping out in that way, uh, let us know at that table after after service. Yeah, so, or yep. even joining a team or a group. <laughs> yes. Our groups are about to ramp back up on September 24th. Pastor Brent can get you all of the details for all of our groups that are ramping back up. And a way to uh, get more information is uh, you can take your phone and you can scan that seat back code uh, right in front of you and you can fill it out digitally or you can fill out the physical connect card um, or we're going to be in the foyer and so you can get connected that way as well. So many ways to connect. And for those of you who are wondering why there's two of us, it's because we had so many announcements today. Yeah. We didn't want one person. We thought it'd be like a, a pre-sermon. Pastor Zach is going to be like pre-sermon, then next sermon. But Pastor Greg isn't here today. He's actually on vacation. Finally. I know, right? Uh, but you, you guys didn't take Rhonda. <laughs> uh, don't clap. <laughs> we, we actually. She's like, darn. <laughs> He did not want to go. It's his it's nerd. True. It's his nerd weekend. He nerds out for the week. Well, for a full week. And no joke, it's like war gaming. It sounds like the worst vacation ever. I wouldn't go. I would not want to go. Um, but we're so thankful that he went because, you know, if you were here a month ago, he was in a, re in a, a motorbike accident with Rhonda. And uh, so he was hesitant to go on vacation. And, and all of us on staff said, please, just because of this, please go in and actually have real vacation because yeah. what you just experienced was not vacation. Yeah. So uh, we're so thankful that he's nerding out on yeah. war games. Yeah. I so guess. this morning so, we yeah. have our, our network youth director from uh, the Northwest Ministry Network. Network. Um, he's also my dad. His oh. name is Zach Cash. Um, I'm sure in his sermon he has a lot of embarrassing stories to tell about me, but I will just say he has more gray hair than me, so uh, I win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good morning. Good morning. It is uh, awesome uh, to be in God's house this morning. Amen? Amen. If you're joining us uh, online, uh, we, uh, we know you're with us, uh, even though you're still in your bathrobe with your lucky charms. Um, uh, you're getting to hear from Jesus and eat uh, the Lord's food at the same time. So uh, it is great uh, to gather uh, with believers. Amen. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Zach. And, and like Tyler said, he is my son. And uh, so he can't escape me. I'm both his dad and his youth director. And so um, basically anything that goes wrong in his life, uh, you can email jessica at gmail.com and uh, she'll take care of that for you. Um, the, the cash family is going to need premarital, or not premarital, marital counseling, um, because she elbowed me during announcements and asked if I was going to prime timers, and uh, I ain't there yet. So uh, it is good. Uh, but so many great things happen in the life of a church, right, that is, that is committed to saying we want to live 
openly for Jesus in our community. And, and uh, just one correction uh, on those announcements. It's not NerdFest, it's DorkFest that, uh, that we affectionately call where Pastor is. And yes, they are reenacting on, uh, through these big, huge game boards, wars that already happened. Like they can somehow change the outcome. Don't tell him, it'll disappoint him if he, if he thinks he can't figure things out better than some of the generals. He'll, he'll be disappointed, but we are. We are celebrating. We're celebrating that he was healthy enough to go. We're celebrating that Rhonda's healthy and is on a recovery, even though it's a long road um, after being in such a horrific accident just about a month ago. So, so God is faithful. Amen? Amen. Well, uh, Jess and I were talking about it this week. This fall, November, the first Sunday of November will be, uh, it'll be 25 years since we walked through the doors at Mount Rainier Christian Center. Uh, it's the only church our kids really remember. Tyler, uh, you know, it was in Ellensburg with us, and we went to a, a four-square church. And um, but uh, other than that, uh, this is this is home. Uh, this is our church family, and uh, and so it's always a privilege to share. I served on staff here as the youth pastor and children's pastor uh, for a number of years. Was on the board, and I always tell people that serving on the board uh, made me fall in love with my church. Uh, when you're behind the scenes and you're you're holding up the arms and serving your, the pastoral team and all the ins and outs that go into making just what we're experiencing right now happen uh, was a big deal, and it made me love my church. And then serving in this role as a youth director, traveling across our network, which is Washington and North Idaho, 350 churches, um, it, it made me fall in love with the church, the big C, because I've just discovered God has got so many amazing people placed all across uh, our region obediently and faithfully uh, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And so uh, this morning, we are going to continue in uh, chapter in Luke, in our journey, our road trip through the book of Luke. Uh, we are going to be in chapter 12, if you brought your Bible with you. Um, and this, this idea of seeing the real Jesus, not seeing real Christianity, not seeing a real belief system, but seeing the real person of Jesus Christ. This idea that the, that the physician Luke set about to to carefully and faithfully uh, investigate and study the claims of Jesus so that with the, with the, one of the main themes that walks that is woven through the entire book of Luke is this idea of glory. That when we see, when we see the real Jesus, when we see all that God does, the depth of his love and the extent that he went to to express it for you and me, when we see that, the response is, is awe. The response is this glory that, that, that forces a response from within us. And so we're going to pick up in chapter 12 with this idea that we're going to clearly see some things about God. Pastor challenged us last week as in, when we wrapped up in chapter 11. He challenged us as, as Jesus has confronted the Pharisees, right? As Jesus has, has called them out, he's challenged us with, with will we let Jesus call us out? And there's going to be aspects of even this morning's message where you could maybe feel like God is calling you out. And here's what I want to encourage you with. God never calls something out because he wants to shame you, because he wants to draw attention for the sake of making a spectacle out of you. He calls it out because he wants to see it grow and transform in your life. He calls it out because he wants to do something with it. One of the best parts about being part of a fellowship, a group of believers, is that not only do we have the Holy Spirit to call us out, but we also have those that we walk in, in this journey of following Jesus with that can speak into our lives and say, hey, I know you. I know that this is what you've proclaimed. This is what you've declared to be part of your life. And, and I'm seeing these things. And, and so I would encourage you, if you haven't, like the best way to, to, to develop that is to jump into a group. Jump into a group where people can begin to see you and know you 
for who you really are. And so Jesus has confronted these, these Pharisees, and, and chapter 11 ends by saying, they began to look for ways to trap Jesus, right? Their response to seeing Jesus wasn't, wow, we need to listen up. He's got some things to say. Their response to Jesus was, man, how do we trip this up, the guy up so we can get him out of the way so that we can keep what we've, we've got going here? We've got this pretty good gig. People think we're important. People like what we do. Like we like what we do. We're, we're making some money. We are, we are prominent. We have position. And so we've got to get this guy out of the way because he is, he is challenging our way of life. And Jesus wants us to see the real thing. It's a reminder of that old driver's ed lesson, that that which you look at is where you're going to go, right? If you stare at the ditch, you're going to head towards the ditch. It's amazing how similar, right, life is to driver's ed, right? That there's guardrails, things that, that keep you from going off the road, and we're thankful when they're there. We don't like to hit them. It hurts and leaves a mark, but we're thankful. And God's word serves as guardrails in our lives. But Jesus wants us to see him and he wants us to see God and he knows that when we see those things accurately that we're gonna head in that direction. So we're gonna do what the author of Hebrews 12, two says that we're gonna fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. See, with Jesus, what you see is what you get. With Jesus, what you see is what you get. There's no pretense, there's, no, there's nothing fake or unreal. You know, there's all kinds of social media apps out there. And, and uh, if you've got teenagers, if you're around teenagers or young kids or grandkids, they, they're, they, on them, they know all about them. And there's this one app out there right now called Be Real. Right? And the whole idea is the social media world said, you know what, we get it. Every single thing about social media is staged and fake. Right? Every, every Instagram post. Every Facebook, like it's like, you know, like some people you look at their, if you look at their social media feed, you think they live in a constant photo shoot, right? And, and, and so they came up with this idea that, you know what, we're going to have this be real. And the, the app will generate random times. And at that time, you're supposed to pick it up and you're supposed to take a picture and a snap of exactly what's going on in that moment. It's supposed to be more authentic. Well, let's just be honest. They're just as staged as everything else on social media. You know, it's like, oh, sure, just, it just happened to catch it when you were kicking it at the lake at the perfect time. Your feet are up and everything. Oh, and by the way, your Bible's out because you're, you know, you're relaxing, but you got Jesus while you're relaxing. You know, it's got, you know, we, it's still that way. And Jesus is saying, I don't want it to be like an app. I don't want it to be staged. I want your life to be a, a reflection of my life. I want it to truly be authentic and real. And so when we see what he's doing, what, we, what, we, what he's going to show us, that there are some specific areas in our life that reveal whether or not we are living authentically as his disciples. And as a good teacher, he uses tools. And one of the tools that he's going to use here is comparison and, contra and contrast. That with Jesus, what you see is what you, what you get. But the religious leaders of the time, the culture of the time, the culture of the time we're in now, there's a difference and a distinction. And Jesus is going to draw attention to those things. So starting in verse 1, jump into the scriptures, this is what he says. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling on one another, he began to say to his disciples first, I'm going to pause right there real quick, right? That the craze and the crowd didn't garner Jesus' attention in this moment. His, his attention was on his disciples. He was focused. See, sometimes we can think just because there's popularity and notoriety and fame and all this crazy stuff going on that that's success. 
And Jesus is saying, I want you to know in this moment, like all this stuff's going on, and I'm going to speak to those that, that, that say I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm talking to a disciple. I'm talking to my disciples. Those are saying that they're following me. And he says this. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. He uses the word uh, hypocrisy, which in the Greek is hypocrisis, which is to pretend or play a part, to put on a show. Specific to, to the Pharisees, they were claiming to see God. They were claiming to be the vocal piece and yet were orchestrating everything for personal gain and, and position. It's opposite of what we see in Jesus. It's opposite of what he wants us to know about living for the kingdom as a disciple. So you can't just live for the world and slap a Jesus sticker on it. You know how many of us have been on the road before and the car with a Jesus fish cuts you off and gives you the finger? I always want to believe the best and say, man, that car belonged to someone else before that driver. You know, it's because there's, a, there's not an alignment with this, this public display and what the actions were. You know, being candid, it's why we never put the name of the church on the side of our buses. Right? We would have youth events and kids can sometimes do some crazy things and I didn't want them to know that was a church bus. You know, I should have put like reform school or something on the side of it. But see, Jesus was calling out their, their hypocrisy. See, he's not calling them out for making mistakes. He's not calling them out for, for the fact that they fell short of being perfect. It's that they were pretending to be something that they weren't. And he calls it leaven. Uh, if you do a study on it and and I've you know, done a super quick one, but leaven is similar to yeast, like there's different bacteria and all these things, but the idea is the same, that it's this super small thing that when worked through the dough, when worked through the bread, it modifies it, it changes it. There's a chemical reaction to where it's no longer the same as it was before. In scripture, leaven is used both positively and negatively, but, and this time, of course, it's, it's referencing the negative. But again, the point is that it's small and it works through. See, hypocrisy has crept in and, and corrupted the Pharisees in the way that they are representing Jesus. And Jesus says to beware, to guard against it, right? To be purposeful and intentional because it, the default is to let things sneak in. See, it's a call back to the old school kids church song, right? To be careful little eyes, what you see. That was what last week's sermon was, right? But there's be careful little ears, where you, what you hear. There's be careful little feet where you go. For the Father up above is looking down with love. So be careful. And then you finish the song. And then if you fast forward a few more years to our kids' church song, right? We had the song, I just want to be a sheep, right? And of course it was bah, 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 right? But it says, I don't want to be a Pharisee because they're not fair, you see, right? They're not, I don't want to be a hypocrite because they're not hip to it. So you can take the guy out of kids' ministries, but you can't take kids' ministries out of the guy. But there's this truth woven through the scriptures and, and these songs, these kids' songs, that, that there's a difference. There's a distinction between the way that we're supposed to live as a disciple and, and what Jesus is calling out as, as hypocrisy. So often it's because we have what I call speeding ticket theology. I confess openly, I speed. You know, I try to keep it in, in, a, in a relative. I'm never like, you know, 25 over or whatever. Unless, you know, but... But I speed. But you know, there's no evidence of that. Unless a law enforcement officer pulls me over, 
See, if a law enforcement officer pulls me over, I have no excuse. I was speeding. But really, we go through so often and we say, man, unless I get caught, it doesn't really count. Unless I get, unless I get pulled over and have to answer for that speed, it doesn't really count. And so, and so much of what he's talking about, Jesus is talking about, is these Pharisees were living and saying, you know what, unless it gets called out, it didn't really happen. And so Jesus is acting like the law enforcement officer here and he's, he's pulling out. And so we have to be intentional because it sneaks in. It finds a way through our whole entire life. It starts as a little white lie. It starts when we tell ourselves it's just business. It's just business. So I can manipulate things and I can, I can harm people and I can do whatever it takes. I can do these little things because it's just business. Business is separate, right? And these things creep in. It starts when we say that everybody fudges on their taxes a little bit. It starts when we jump on that DM from that old flame in high school and begin to entertain just those small little flirtations. The problem is that like leaven, those things are small and yet they begin to work through our lives and it takes over. And Jesus wants us to live authentically because the, the cost and what Jesus is gonna talk to us about is the cost of hypocrisy is then we have to hide because we become afraid to be found out. We become afraid of being exposed for the real things that we've, that we've done. Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century English preacher, says that the cure for the hypocrite is this. I cannot try to deceive when I know that God is looking at me. It's impossible for me to play double and false when I believe that I'm in the presence of the Most High and that he is reading my thoughts and the secret purposes of my heart. Jesus is saying, don't see God as distant. See him as near. That the, the physical, physical absence is not the reality that he is present. Do you see Jesus is present this morning, even sitting amongst us in this room, gathered with us? Is he, gonna, is he gonna go sit around the table at taco time after church with you and your family? Is he in the car right on your way to work? Do you see him as near? Because when he's that close and that aware and he's present and he, and he discerns every thought of our hearts, our minds, that's the reality. Jesus teaching us that the cost of hypocrisy is that we begin to fear, we begin to fear the wrong things. And he wants us to know that fearing the right things defeats the fear of the wrong things. Verses four through five says this, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body and after have nothing more than, than they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after has killed has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus is saying, have rightly placed fear. He's not saying don't have fear. He's saying have rightly placed fear. See, he's saying there's a limited fear that exists in the world versus the unlimited fear of a living God. So he's saying fear God more than anything else. And fearing God will remove the lesser fears. See, I hate spiders. I, I mean, I hate spiders with a passion. I mean, there's just, I've got so many stories to tell you why and all the crazy stuff that has happened that, that just make, like, just, it's just, I hate them. Like, I'm stacking firewood right now, and I'm like, every single piece I'm looking, you know, throwing it a little extra hard, because I just, I just hate spiders. Even though, like, leather gloves, I just go, but whatever. It, I hate spiders. You know what else I hate? I hate disappointing my wife. So when she from the other room calls me and says, hey, there's a spider to come kill. I have to muster all the courage that I can get to say, Megan, go kill that spider. 
See, it's a f- one fear trumps the other. And see, this is a healthy fear. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that it's rooted in the fact that God knows us. That nothing we've done is, not, is out of his purview, but also he's personal and he knows us. It says that the, the very hairs of our heads are numbered. And for some of us, we're making the math easier for Jesus. But the point is this. According to Google this morning, there are 8,045,311,435 people on the planet Earth. And out of all of that, he knows every hair on your head. That he's so close. That he's, that he's so personal to you. That, that this isn't a, this isn't, the fear doesn't come because he's, he's waiting to squash you. That you know, you're the spider hanging over the precipice of hell. That the fear comes because you know he's near and his care for you is so intimate and so personal that he's present with you in every moment. You know, how the world sees us and thinks and treats us is largely out of our control, right? We don't get to dictate to the world how they treat us. We don't get to dictate the rules. You know, Romans 8 says that as much as it's up to us, live at peace with people, right? As much as it's up to you, which means don't cut people off and give them a finger if you have a Jesus fish on your car, right? He said, as much as as it's up to you, live at peace with all people. Because we have a role in that, in in, in how they perceive us. But some things are out of our control. What society gives or takes away isn't our choice. It's not something that we get to make. But we do get to choose if we're gonna be authentic Jesus followers. And so when we know he's near, when we know that he's, he's in and he's present and he's personal, that's when we can make a choice to live confident and open because we're no longer afraid. See, the hiding that comes with hypocrisy because we're afraid of man. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be a disciple, to be confident, knowing that your father loves you, knowing that he's personal, knowing that he's near, and live openly and confidently before man. Jesus says that there's consequences to this kind of choosing. And he says, I tell you that everyone who acknowledges me before men the son of man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Jesus says, look, when you do this, when you acknowledge publicly, I acknowledge you. See, every, every time you make an intentional step, say, you know, I'm not gonna hide my faith. I am a follower of Jesus. Jesus died for me, rescued me, saved me, and he's made me brand new. And while that's not perfect and I stumble, I get back up because my eyes are fixed on the Savior, the one that was perfect. And when when we do that, it says he acknowledges before the angels of God. But it also says that if you deny before men, right, if you're fear, if you're so afraid what others can do to you, that you you suppress who God is, that then he denies you before the angels of God. One of the favorite things about being in youth ministry in the Pacific Northwest is uh, Pacific Northwest, if you don't know, is one of the, is the least churched region in our country, right? There is not, it is not a cultural norm in the Pacific Northwest to attend church. Some of us are like, really, that's crazy. Cause like it's been part of your life for a long time. And, and yet, you know, when you look at statistics and they do demographic studies, like the Northwest is this unchurched place that is, that is like, if they, when they do it by color, it's one of the darkest. 
And what I love, and it what puts a smile on my face, is in the, that means in the Pacific Northwest, every time a youth student walks through the doors of church, they're not showing up to a they're not showing up to a group, they're not showing up to a club, they're showing up to a church where Jesus is gathering among them to declare uh, His goodness and His faithfulness and worship and to hear from His word. When they do that, it's more real than anywhere else in the country. Because there's no cultural advantage. There's no status to be gained by living openly and confidently for the Lord. It's why baptism is such a big deal. So many of us, when we've grown up in church, we're like, I mean, I can't, I mean, I can't not cry at baptisms. It's just not possible. Um, I just celebrate the heck out of it. But you know what a big deal it is? When you've given your life to Jesus and you get in this dunk tank and you get like soaking wet and brought out in front of like 300 or so people that you've never seen before or don't really know. Like that is a big deal uh, in the spiritual realm of what's happening. It's this public demonstration of an inward work. It's the, the challenge for disciples. Will we live? Romans 1.16 says that I am not ashamed of the gospel. Right? For it's the power of God, but it's the foolishness of the world. See, because it doesn't make sense to the world when the way that we choose to follow Jesus. It doesn't make sense to give up time on a Sunday morning when you could be kicking it with a cup of coffee on your front porch, your feet up. When you could be doing so many other things, but you're saying, I'm going to gather with, the, with fellow saints to declare and worship. I'm going to hear from his God. I'm going to give all these things. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to give up time on a Wednesday night to serve teenagers or kids in kids' ministries. It doesn't make sense to do all these things. It doesn't make sense to not slander your boss when you're overlooked for that, for that promotion that you've been wanting so desperately. It doesn't make sense to have meaningful relationships that... that they're so deep that confession is possible. It doesn't make sense to care for the addict. It doesn't make sense to tithe and give a portion of your, of your income to the Lord. It doesn't make sense to give to a building for kids' ministries when your kids are long grown. There's no benefit to you. In the world's eyes, these things don't make sense. Does it make sense to give up nights in the wintertime to care for those in need? See, while none of those things make worldly sense, they all publicly proclaim that you're following Jesus. See, they all say, listen, I have a different set of values as a disciple. I have a different way of looking at the world and I'm gonna follow Jesus and be obedient in this. That there are different values and different goals. And Jesus is gonna, is gonna highlight one of those specific areas that it really shows up in our, in our lives. And that's in our finances. This guy in the middle of the Jesus teaching interrupts him. I don't know why people interrupt Jesus all the time but they think it's okay, right? There's thousands of people, and he's like, uh, Jesus, I've got a problem. And, and I love Jesus because he, just, he doesn't miss a beat, but he uses this moment to bring their attention on a specific area that he wants to show them. He wants them to know that disciples look for kingdom impact, eternal impact more than temporary. And he says to them this, take care and be on your guard of all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, and he told them this parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool. We learned last week, right, that that word fool is like the, one of the, the harshest things that God says to those he loves, right, is fool. He says, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? 
so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This is the second time that Jesus uses this phrase to take care, to be on guard. Again, he's saying, listen, drift is easy. The default of your sin wiredness is easy in this specific area. And here's what I want you to know. Greed is bad for your soul. Greed damages you. It hurts you. And, and I want you to be free of that. It's important to know that this, that this context of everything we're going to talk about is, is wrapped up in this word covetousness, this word greed, where literally you could just describe it as this, more for me, more for me. This guy goes sideways, not because he was successful, not because he became wealthy. It's because he had no thought toward the God who had blessed him or how God would maybe want to use it to bless others. See, when God gives us anything, anything, if you read 1 Peter, when God gives us anything, it's all to be used for the glory of God and the benefit of others. And this guy has no thought towards that. He's only consumed with his personal comfort and gain. And so Jesus uses that to set the table for this contrast. He said a disciple's life and priorities are ordered differently. And what the world strives after and what it stresses about, we don't. And so he continues. He said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They, neither, they, they don't have a storehouse or a barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, I, circle that if, circle that if in your Bible. If God so clothes the, clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you're to eat and what you're to drink. And do not be worried for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows that you need him. Instead, seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in the heavens that doesn't fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, Jesus wants us to know this in this passage, that we can trust the if, that if God takes care of the birds of the air, right, if he takes care of the lilies of the field, he goes, if, he can, if he'll do that, how much more for those that are created in his image will he take care of? And when we structure our lives based on that knowledge, on that foundation, knowing that God will take care of us, then we can begin to be free from organizing our life and, and building our life for that idol and chasing after that greed, that covetousness, that more for me. And Jesus says it all hinges on not just what God gives, but how he gives. Scripture says that it was his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Like that he wasn't begrudgingly or forced or, or he, was, he wasn't like, oh, resigned to have to give it. He joyously gave us the kingdom. And ultimately it's like this. It's like seeing that like if Elon Musk and Bill Gates got together and they dropped their, their net worth on you, it'd be the equivalent of this penny. Because you know what, you can have this. And God's saying, why would you want that when I can give you this? 
Why would you pursue this and chase this? And the crazy part in that passage was that he says that you can amass it. You can, you, can, you can live for that greed. You can do the more for me thing. And the best case scenario is that you're gonna leave it for someone else. The best case scenario is all that hard work is gonna go to benefit others. When he's talking about being anxious, when he's talking about being worried and striving, here's what he's not referencing. He's not, being, he's not referencing those times when there is more uh, on, the, on the out column than the in column. He's not talking about the times, moms and dads, when you've had to, to question whether or not you were going to pay the power bill or buy groceries. He's not talking about those things that cause that, that kind of stress. He's talking about an anxiousness and a worry that's based about building your life to pursue more and more and more. He says the nations of the world go after these, strive after these things. He says, but not you, not you. And he gives us the cure. He gives us the cure. He simply says, give to the needy, right? You sell your possessions, right? Let the, the hold that greed has on your life be broken in a way that's opposite of the way the world would want it to be broken. See, the world says, like Walmart says, save money, live better, right? In that phrase, it says that, like, listen, you need to buy a bunch of stuff. The only way that you can have a, you can have a better life is if you buy more stuff and it costs you less money. Now hear me, I like a deal. I like a deal, just like anybody likes a deal. I, can, I mean, I'm not allowed to go to grocery outlet or Costco because I like a deal so much. And so I like a deal. He's not talking about stewardship. He's talking about the opposite of greed. And it's broken in our lives. And we can gladly give when we recognize the difference between what God has given us and what we have to offer. We can give based on his character. We can, we can give based on what he holds and in his, in his power and his possession. He holds the worlds in his hands, right? Scripture says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Our God is not short of resources. And so we can trust him. And it says that where your treasure is is where your heart is. See, it's not a money issue. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. It, it reveals whether or not we've trusted God, if we, if we actually believe that he'll take care of us, you don't have to look far uh, online to find examples of even churches uh, and, and pastors misusing funds that are given to the Lord. And, and it, that's one of the th challenges I hear oftentimes, especially with a younger generation uh, that, that struggles with this idea. And, and, uh, and I just want to talk a little bit briefly about this house and you know, after serving on the board, serving on staff, I can tell you this, uh, our church is both generous and wise. That our church is generous with the staff. They, take care, they, they don't believe that the pastor should be in poverty. They, they, they have great salaries that are, that are fair and healthy and all those things. They, they do a great job taking care of their staff, but they're also wise and, they, and they're safeguards and ways. And, and one of the ways that, it, that a church safeguards this is transparency. Right, we started this talking about hypocrisy, things that were hidden. But in a church, when it comes to finances, if, if things are transparent, if they're out in the open, which in our church, they are. Right? There's only a few things that, you'll never, that, that they won't let you see specifically. Number one, you'll never see benevolence. Right? Those times we talked about where, the, where someone comes and they're in need, uh, those, are, those are confidential and rightly so. Second is you'll, you won't see the, the individual uh, you know, salaries and stuff because there's HR rules that kind of dictate those kinds of things. But you can see the total and you can see the budget and you can see how much is spent on desserts when they start buying desserts. Amen. 
And so we can see these excesses and abuses, and so, and so we can begin to hold back. And Jesus is saying, don't judge it on that. Right? Judge it based on what you see your father giving you. Judge it based on, on the way you see him giving it. And then in that, we agree with what the psalmist says in 33. It says, we're depending on God. He's everything we need. What's more, our hearts brim with joy since we've taken for our own his holy name. Love us, God, with all you've got and all that we're, de- and that's what we're depending on, right? That we depend on God. Jesus shifts gears to this and, and he's saying, listen, not only are, are is this, these things, you know, the authentic living, but here's another thing that an authentic disciple does, a follower does, they never coast, right? We can comb the scriptures and we don't ever see evidence that there is a retirement age for a disciple. Where a disciple gets to say, you know what? I don't have to show up anymore. I'm done. I'm checked out. Instead, he says this in verse 35 through 36, that be dressed and ready for service. Keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, he can immediately open the door for him. What Jesus is saying is this, that every day is an opportunity. Every day is an opportunity to step into your community, to walk across the street to your neighbor and, and ask that one more question to see how they're really doing versus talking about the weather or the Mariner's miracle comeback. Or there's so many things that, that there are opportunities for us. You can serve at a local school. You can take a meal to a neighbor in need. You could jump on a serve team here at church. See, there's no evidence that we get to retire. We are to keep going and be ready with everything that God has given us until he either calls us home or we drop dead and get to go home. See, three times through the, that passage, he's, it says that it will be good. Right? It'll be good if you're waiting, watching, readying themselves, and doing. All those things are active. See, in the kingdom, a disciple waits actively. We're busy about our Father's business, doing what he's called us to do. He continues to draw the rest of the chapter these distinctions between what it is to be a disciple and what it is to look like the world. He continues to say like that, that I did, that he came to bring division, not peace on the earth. And what he's talking about is that when you make a clear decision, the decision alone will cause division in your life. He says that the, there will be division in a family even, right? And some of the deepest wounds, is, I mean, it'll cause division at work. It'll cause division in our friendships, right? Party people that you used to roll with, people that you used to do things with, you, still, you no longer do. It causes a division, but it also affects your family relationships. This is fathers and sons and mothers and daughters. And then the one that's not a big stretch, the mother-in-law and daughter-in-law one. But it says it causes divisions. See, making a choice, when you make a clear choice and stand and you're living publicly, it can't be, it, it can't be unnoticed. People will observe it and they will, they will find things wrong with it. When Jess and I bought our first house, um, we sat down with a, a lender and he went through our finances, and uh, we got approved at $118,000, right? This was obviously a long time ago. I don't, think you can buy, I don't think you can buy a piece of land for that. And as he looked at our finances, he said this. He said, he goes, okay, everything's in order, blah, blah, blah. And, and he goes, you know, I see this on your budget. He says that you give to your church. I'm like, yeah. He said, you know, uh, you could buy more house if you didn't do that. We're like, we know. See, it made more sense to him. It makes more common sense to any other way of thinking to look at that and go, oh, that's how it should, we should do it. But see, we, neither of us grew up, uh, and in, definitely in our early marriage, we didn't tithe, and so, but we had felt this personal conviction, and the tug was real. The pull was real, because we're like, okay, so we get a little bigger house, you know what I'm saying? 
and that quickly that we could, in our minds even, we could see a bigger, maybe a little bit nicer house. But we also had this tug because we knew what God had, was speaking to us about. And so we said, you know, no, nope, we're gonna keep doing that. He shook his head and then he left and we found a different mortgage lender. It's because it doesn't make sense to the world. It doesn't make sense when we choose to live openly and, and walk out the values as disciples. But see, what we see is what we get with Jesus. And it's critically important to him for his disciples. He's dressing his disciples through all of this, this entire passage until the very end where it says, he looks and he addresses the crowd and calls out their hypocrisy. But it was different. It says, for our disciples, I want you to live authentically. I want you to be free in your finances, to use them and, and, and to be blessed by them and to, and to flourish with them, but I don't want you to be gripped by them. It says, I don't want you to have to feel the weight and then the, and the wondering when the next time you're gonna be found out. I want you to live openly and confidently before me and before the world. So he invites you and me to be more real than ever. He invites you and me to to step into those things that he talked to us about in our finances and, and walking openly. And while it won't make sense to the world, and while it's gonna cause division and conflict, it'll be worth it. And so we do this, we, we do the opposite kingdom things that, that call this, that, that bring about change. See the Jesus way versus the world way. See, we break cycles of sin by confessing and bringing things out into the open and into the light. We break bitterness in our lives by, bringing, by forgiving those that hurt us. And the same way, we break the pattern of hypocrisy by owning before our living God, recognizing he's already near and knows it all anyway. And so we can walk confidently, unmasked and unashamed because we know that he knows us already fully and still accepts us and calls us his own. We can break the pattern of hiding our faith and we can live unashamed and publicly because you know what, well, maybe it'll mean a job change. Maybe it'll mean uh, the neighbor doesn't wanna to talk to you anymore, but it, it'll mean you're living openly. They'll be able to know you for who you really are. And we also break the hold that money can have on our lives and the anxiousness and the striving for it and the personal comfort that we can so easily seek when we learn to do this and give and trust him with our finances. And when we do this, when the world sees us, they see Jesus. Because with Jesus, what you see is what you get, amen? Would you stand with me this morning? So Father, this morning, uh, we hear you calling us to say, uh, evaluate your hearts and, and open before you. And say, yeah, we wanna be open and honest disciples that live authentically. God, knowing that you're near and knowing that you know us personally alone is, is awe-causing in our lives. That the God of the universe would wanna know me. So we pray that by your spirit, you work in us and, and give us the courage to begin to walk and do as we see you doing. And when we do it, our world will see it. We pray it in Jesus' amazing name. Amen. Amen. Church, great to be with you this morning. Have a great rest of your Sunday.